Let me set the stage a bit. It's the 1990s at the Chris Owens Club on the world-famous Bourbon Street. And on stage is the woman for which the club is named. Owens is wearing something that looks like a modified swimsuit with embroidered sleeves. There's a feather boa. She's got on white high heels. Her dark brown hair is flowing, and her long legs are on full display as she starts talking to the crowd in the smoke-filled club. That is the sound of the blues, and I guess you all know that New Orleans is the birthplace of the blues. Birthplace of Bourbon Street, famous for entertainment for over 150 years. Famous for the French market with the beignets. Have you had your French donut today? Oh, yeah. It's also famous for some of the greatest musicians in the world, guys that have contributed to our blues and our jazz heritage. You've been listening to my guys, The Hot Rhythm. This is the Tan Report. I'm your host, Han Trung. And we're going to stay in the 90s for another moment. In this VCR quality clip, Owens kind of resembles Cher in the video for If I Could Turn Back Time. And that song seems appropriate because if we could turn back time, we'd be able to see Chris Owens dancing and performing on Bourbon Street in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and into the 21st century. And the crowds, both local and out of town, loved her. She was such that celebrity, and you know, just to go out and about, and she loved New Orleans, and she loved the fans, and so she was approachable all the time. And there was never a time, she would say all the time, kids, I'll take every picture, I'll sign every autograph, I want to listen to every story, and because she appreciated that New Orleans made her who she was. You know, she used to tell me all the time, kids, if we don't have heinies in the seats for showtime, well, I don't have a career. And it was so true. So she appreciated and wanted to give back, gave back in so many ways, but wanted to give back to those people that took their time to say, uh, you know, they would scream, Chris, I want a picture. Chris, can I have a autograph? And, and she loved it. She loved the lifestyle. That's Kitsy Adams. Friend, first of all, uh, business manager and publicist of our late, beautiful, vivacious Miss Chris Owens. For 37 years, Kitsy was with Owens at virtually every public appearance. And there were many. Chris worked Vegas. We did cruise lines and convention shows outside of the club, too. And she loved to do that because she would say all the time, kids, if we go outside and do other shows or whatever else, that helps bring people back into our city. And it was so true. When people would travel, if they would see us in Vegas or Atlantic City or wherever we might be, when they came back to New Orleans, they would definitely come and see her show. I met Kitsy at the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. Kitsy says the restaurant and bar inside the hotel was one of Owens' favorite spots in New Orleans. And when Owens made an entrance, she was instantly recognizable. I was um, blessed today to have a little lunch in the Rib Room in Nomi Orleans, and she loved uh, the Rib Room. And people would wait, because most Fridays we would go to lunch, and they were all, both men, women, younger generation, older generation, wait for her to walk into that Rib Room to see what she had on, you know, what she was going to say, and no matter, she was bigger than life. So when Owens started presiding over an Easter parade in the 1980s, that parade became bigger than life too. And it became the Chris Owens Easter Parade. Every Easter, crowds of pastel people filled the French Quarter with suits, bonnets, and bunny ears. It's a holy day, but in New Orleans, there's no commandment against costumes, and so the streets in the quarter would be lined with folks from every stripe, eager to see and to be seen. 
and they were all eager to see Chris Owens and what she would be wearing. And that's how it went for 37 years. But this year, the parade will be different, in name and in route. It'll be rolling on a rectangular route, starting at St. Louis Street, instead of rolling on Royal and Canal Streets as they had for decades. And for the first time in almost 40 years, the parade will be called the French Quarter Parade. The changes come as this week marks the one-year anniversary of Chris Owens' sudden death from a heart attack. How have you processed this time from the time that she left us till now? It's some days that I think it has sunk in, and other days, you know, I don't think that it has sunk in. Um, especially with the Easter parade coming up, you know, reality sometimes is not so nice. And so it, it, it's starting to sink in, I should say. But, you know, anytime you lose somebody close, near and dear, it's just that whole process of that loss. Busy with tying loose ends up, you know, and getting things done and, you know, saying the goodbyes to the building and to the club and to the career and just to her lifestyle, that's gone by very quickly. The slowness of it is, you know, every single day you wake up and just not on that routine and not on that, you know, Chris Owens. So it's just, it's been some good and some bad. You mentioned the Easter parade. Yes. This year, Chris Owens' name will not be on there. What, do yes. you know the reasoning behind uh, that? Unfortunately, you know, it has, everything has a story, and it was a, it was a decision for me to make that it was better that it was just the French Quarter Easter Parade. And, of course, we will always pay tribute to her. I mean, she started it. It was, you know, her brainchild, and um, the, the parade will go on, and the city of New Orleans wants it to go on, have met with many people, and they are just they're begging for the tradition to go on, and it, and it will go on. And we look forward. Nothing has changed other than her name will not, you know, be used in it. And that, honestly, um, was the wishes of her family members. That no longer it would be the Chris Owens Correct. parade. Was it an emotional decision for them, or was it I, I think it was very emotional for me. I don't think that they realized who she was and what she was to the city. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what does happen, you know, uh, the city will always carry on her iconicness. The people of New Orleans will always carry on her iconicness. And she'll never be, you know, she'll, she'll never be forgotten. To understand the loss of Chris Owens, it helps to understand her life. She was born Christine Shaw, a Texas girl. At the age of 20, she came to New Orleans. It was the 1950s. And this is where she would meet and marry a millionaire car dealer, Saul Owens. By 1956, they opened a club on the corner of Bourbon and St. Louis Streets, Club 809. It was at that club the entertainer the world would come to know as Chris Owens got her start. She started as a dancer, wasn't really a singer, went to singing lessons, and then became the singer. So her career was dancing all the Latin dances and then went to singing lessons. We should point out this was not the Bourbon Street of today with its girls-gone-wild mentality. Chris Owens took a different approach a beautiful person on stage. It was kind of that showgirl atmosphere, always very exotic, sexy, tasteful, beautiful outfits that she constantly designed. And she had a great seamstress by the name of Dami that they worked hand in hand together. And they would create, and they would create six, seven, eight costumes at a time for all the shows coming up in the club and both afar. We might have a different idea when we say showgirl on Bourbon Street and that tends to kind of lean towards nudity and stripping so on and so forth that wasn't what Chris no Owens nudity was whatsoever sexy elegant beautiful everything was done and, t- and 
and beautiful taste. There was just enough skin showing that you appreciated as a man and a woman, but classy. In the early years of the club, there were trips to Cuba to learn different styles of dance. Apparently, it wasn't just Chris Owens that turned heads, especially when the couple was dancing. So Saul would take her to Havana, and they were a dynamic duo and dancing. You know, most men at that time didn't dance, you know, not that way or whatever else. And they would clear a room, and they would do the merengue and the cha-cha and all the Latin dance and the whatever else, and that very fast pace. And, you know, I mean, he was better than Fred Astaire. I mean, he was just, and very sexy and just, you know, just fun. They must have been such a couple. Oh, and dynamic couple. And he would have maracas for it all the times, in his car, wherever. And the, the maracas would come out, and the party was on. The party was on until 1979, when Saul Owens died of a heart attack. Chris would take over ownership of the club, an entertainer and now entrepreneur. Around the same time, she and Kitsy would form a bond. The girl from Texas and the native New Orleanian would be inseparable for decades. Chris was in our family for a very long time. Her late husband, Saul Owens, was related on my dad's side through marriage. And so, of course, Chris and Saul were in the Adams family for a very long time. And then when I became of age, um, would go into the club and would just do family things with them. And so this had, this was 37 years ago. Um, we were at a function and she came to me at, we were at a family function and she said, kids, I understand that you are really like right out of college and you're looking for something to do. And I said, I am. And she said, come on, why don't you come and join my force? Come and do some sales for me. And that's how it really began. She said, come and join my force. Come and join my force. That's great. And come and do some sales for me. And I, I really started doing some bookings for her, like tour, tour groups and things like that in the club. And then it led from there to doing all of her publicity and marketing and advertising. And then honestly, just became the business manager and her manager and was with her on a daily basis. Throughout the 80s, 90s, and beyond, Chris and Kitsy were together as Club 809 became the Chris Owens Club. In 1983, the Chris Owens Easter Parade was born. The outfits progressed with the changing times, but always carried a signature Chris Owens flair that captured attention. I think that the late 80s and the early 90s were great as far as fashion and things of that nature. You know, she really got into the fashion then and then. Do you she think she was like at peak fashion? Yes, absolutely. At that point? Yes, and she <laughs> loved that era. And so we would laugh because she would say, I know they're going to say because I have, um, you know, shoulder pads on in some of the outfits that I'm back in the 80s. But she loved that style. The glamour, the dancing, that's what most people saw. But Kitsy was able to see a side that was less visible to the public. That was her, no matter what. The glitz, the glamour, and did it not to be a show-off, did it because that was truly her. That was her personality, you know. So she used to say all the time, and she used to say because she was so humble, Kits, I just decided to go into the show business world, but I still sneeze and pee like everybody. So sincere, you know. That's how down-to-earth she was. Down-to-earth, and sometimes doubtful of herself. To the level that you're comfortable, were there moments, or can you share a moment that maybe people didn't understand, or was there a different side to Chris Owens that was more personal uh, that we didn't see that wasn't the you know believe, uh, yes the, I will I will girl. share believe it or not she was people would never believe this about it but she was very shy and before every performance being backstage with her, I would say, come on, you can do this. It was like her first performance because she was so professional. She wanted the last show that she got a standing ovation 
she wanted the next show to get a standing ovation also. And that's how professional she was. And you would never, you would just think, oh, you know, she's going out and she's going to do this show again. No, did not look at it like that at all. Was shy, was, kids, do I look all right? Do you, what do you think about this? Do you think I put enough numbers in? Do you, was a nervous wreck about every single show. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's why she was so successful because every single time she went out on that stage, it was like the first time. And I think that's indicative of a lot of performers, whether they're athletes or performers like Chris Owens, that you want to hold yourself to a high standard. So sometimes you do have butterflies because you want to perform at your best level every time. I don't know if that's possible, but nonetheless, you keep trying. And so maybe exactly. that, that kind of self-doubt seeps in because you do want to make sure that you're bettering or you're topping what you did before. Exactly. But you would never know that she had, I guess I should say, a little bit of that lack of confidence in herself, which was a beautiful thing, which was a humble thing. And it but made her more human when I hear it that. It made her much more human. Absolutely. Absolutely. She didn't even realize, I can tell you, to the day she closed her eyes, who she really was. It, she did not. And, and you really? know, I would bring things to her and I would say, we received this letter, or you received this invite, or you received this accolade, or whatever. And she, said, she would say, me? Or they really did that, or they really said that, or, you know. So that was a beautiful thing. And I would, you know, I would be so crazy. And I would say, yes, Chris, you know, and she would be like, but God, kids, there's so many other people out there that, you know, are so much more talented than I am, or whatever else. Kitsy would handle bookings, appearances, and virtually all other matters for Chris. And sometimes that would be a surprise for the people they did business with. Running a club or being in the lounge business or whatever else, you know, even to the salesmen that would come in for liquor and things like that. I'm, you know, I'm talking 20 years ago, you know, when I would say, okay, you know, I'm sending somebody to the front door or whatever else, I'm coming to let you in. And then I would appear, you know, they were like standing there and they would be like waiting for, you know, the guy to, I'm like, no, you have to meet with me. You have to see me, you know, and you could just tell that what they wanted to say, you know, it was like, I was not expecting it to be a lady. One of the first casinos, and I, I won't mention what it was, it was one of the first casinos that called and asked for her to come and perform. And she said, I will have my manager call you back. They called her on the telephone. And so I made the tell. she gave me the message and I called the gentleman back. And I said, you know, I'm Kitsy Adams. I'm Chris Owens' manager and publicist. And, she, and he said, wait, you're the manager? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he's like, I said, who were you expecting? And he said, I was expecting a man to call me. I won't tell you what I said because it's unladylike, but I said it in a joking way. And to this day, we have a great relationship. I, I still do some business with this gentleman. But it, yes, that, that was the era. That is, you know, it, it took a little time to break in women in power. Kitsy says Owens was a savvy businesswoman. She made sure she looked good as well as her club. Every couple of years you'd walk in and the club would be a little bit different. You know, and it was so important for it to be new things all the time. People kept coming back to see her, but to see the new costumes, to see what she had done to the bandstand, to see what the new numbers were. She always kept it exciting. And in the way Kitsy described it, it was an exciting life. That corner of Bourbon in St. Louis was not only where Chris Owens worked, she also lived there. Yes, lived in the building. I mean, in the, in the building, her home, beautiful town home. Uh, she had five shops, retail shops, that she leased out. There was 28 apartments that um, was her real 28? estate. 28 wow. apartments that she um, rented out, and then her club. So her empire and that entity was all in that corner. So she literally lived, ate, and drank 
500 Bourbon Street and 727 St. Louis. She had that whole entire corner. This is not going to sound eloquent, but I got to say, that sounds like a trip to be living on Bourbon Street in the quarter for how many decades? And and over 60 years. She worked and lived and partied there. I mean, that was her life. Yeah. I mean, am I out of bounds in saying that? Absolutely not. No, no. I'm telling you, loved having it all on one roof. And that was Saul Owens. That was that visionary, you know, to put everything under one roof so that, you know, what a great business person. You could be hands-on, you know, with the real estate and the club and everything else. You were right there. And that's why she was so successful, because she was constantly hands-on. She would know everything that was going on. When you came into Chris Owens, it was like that adult Disney world. You forgot your problems. You forgot anything negative. She was about entertaining, and you were going to have a good time. She was one of the only entertainers that was still on Bourbon Street that had a live band behind her. She did an hour and 15-minute, high-energy, nonstop show. She had lines every night. And when Chris Owens needed a break from that life, she would leave New Orleans to decompress. She traveled a whole lot, had a great life, but she still came back home and she was all about definitely patronizing the businesses in New Orleans and the businesses in Metairie. Just, she, you know, she ate lunch out every single day and it was in some restaurant in her own city every single day because she really felt that by, you know, giving her dollar back to the city, how important that was. And it's too bad that we don't have more people that do that every single day, you know. But she was truly a New Orleanian. Came from Texas, but she would always tell you New Orleans was a home. She kept a busy performance schedule, well into the years when senior citizen discounts usually kick in. Kitsy says Chris was very conscious of her health and stamina. She took just such great care of herself and that she was very fortunate. You know, did she have, you know, beauty treatments and she loved the spa and all that. But overall, that beauty was from just maintaining and keeping care, keeping good care of herself. She was a vegetarian. She was a really? vegetarian. Um, I, don't quote me the exact year. It was about 94 when she became a vegetarian. Worked out every single day, took the vitamins. Um, you know, the worst thing that she did was drink a few bubbles every once in a while. You know, so she just, she lived, ate, and drank, and she knew that herself, herself being, her body, and everything else was the product that everybody saw every single day. And so, you know, like I said, but you have, you have to start off with beauty, and she definitely had it with inside, and then definitely glued on the outside. Being a woman living such a high-profile life, there were constantly questions like, how old was Chris Owens? If you look on YouTube and you see some of her performances, uh, and some of them are back in the 90s, some of them are closer to 2017, and I know that we don't want to really get too explicit on her age, but she was at an age where most people are walking around with canes, and she was still dancing up a storm on Absolutely. the stage and getting Absolutely. people to do this. She would tell me all the time, kids, when they ask what my age is, you just tell them that it's unlisted. Why was she so private about her age, you think? I think that from the era that within she grew up in and all, I think that that was just, you didn't tell a lady's age, you know, no matter if you looked as beautiful as she did or if you, if, you know, you weren't granted the beauty. She just honestly believed that. It was just one of those old, you know, sayings, you don't tell, you don't tell a lady's age. And she lived by that. And then there were the questions about the younger looking men that would often be by her side. The last one being Mark Davison, who died in 2019. What were the relationships with her partners after Saul? 
so after Saul, she she really had no one else in her life. She it was bodyguards, it was escorts. You know, I mean, it it was gentlemen that worked for her and helped her. You know, run the club with us. Um, the last gentleman in her life was Mark. Mark had been in her life for over like twenty five years or whatever else. Never got married. Didn't want to get married and didn't have to. Um, so it was a situation that she was just blessed that. Saul Owens was such a visionary and set her up that not only financially, but just structurally, like I mentioned before, in that building, that she could run it all right there. So, you know, she she loved having an escort. She loved, you know, for a gentleman to be around her and to be dressed to go out, but did not I should, did not need a man, you know, was self-sufficient, but it was nice to have, you know, just the escort. And and I do have to give Mark, uh, Mark helped out a whole lot in the building, just, you know, with the upkeep and things of, you know, that nature. But um, she was that businesswoman. She was that, she was that brainchild of business that could just make it all work. After Mark Davison passed away, Owens kept working, performing several nights a week until the pandemic. Like many other businesses, the Chris Owens Club had trouble finding workers after COVID. By this time, Kitsy had moved in with Chris. I lived with her for the last couple of years. You know, she had gone through some family deaths and some really traumatic times, and I was at a stage in my life, my child was older and all, and so that I could live with her. So that, that was a blessing. April 5th, 2022 started off like many other days for Chris Owens. And it was just like a normal morning. We had a routine. Um, I, I was in the guest quarters, and I went upstairs, and she happened to be up. And she was sleeping a little bit later than than she was pr- prior COVID. And so I went upstairs, and she was already up. And very funny, because of it being the week before Easter, she had on, she was trying on the Easter hat, she had the Easter shoes on and these beautiful silk pajamas that she was, she was the lady that went to bed and the lady that woke up. She was just always classy. And so she's trying on and she's like, kids, oh, good morning. She's like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Normal conversation that we would always have. And I said, God, that looks fabulous. But you know, you really need some other shoes and just that girl talk. And so she said, where are we going to lunch today? And we talked about where we were going to lunch. And I said, well, no, let's go here. And so she said, no, let's go here. And we would go back and forth. And we had a routine. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get your vitamin tray. And you need to sign a few checks. And just a routine. I go down the steps. I finish getting myself together. I go to her office. I gather her things or whatever else. I come back up the steps. She's beautifully dressed. And we're going to go to lunch. And she comes out of a doorway. And she passes out. And down she goes. And she has a heart attack right then and there. I started working on her called 911. They were there within minutes. Those guys were absolutely great. It was it was just her time to go. It, that's how quick something can happen. What was going on in your head as you were working on her and doing that? You know, p- please. You know, uh, my whole thing was please. And it's so crazy. It was like, we, we have to get through Easter. We have to get, what you think at that moment is just the craziest thoughts whatsoever. You know, and that, and that had, she had had a, a couple of incidents of passing out and stuff like that. And, she might have gone into AFib some other times, and, and you would just always think, oh, well, you know, this is just one of those times, you know, just had a little passing out spell or whatever else, and you hope for that. But your adrenaline's going, you know, and all you want to do is that you just want that breath in her, you know, you want to sit back up, you want to, you know, we want to go to lunch, you know, and so, like I said, God's will. As sad, until this day I am, I'm very blessed and very, very thankful that she went so peacefully. 
you know, I honest to God believe in my heart and soul that she took her last breath, you know, and just, there was no pain, there was no suffering. I gotta make this observation, you were by her side through so much. Do you think it was God's plan that you'd be by her side yes. at that moment? Yes, yes. Because I, and I, when I would pray, I would say that all the time, God let me be there for her through thick and thin until the end. So he granted that wish and I have to be thankful for that. The Chris Owens Club is now the property of Gail Benson, the owner of the New Orleans Saints. Kitsy can't share what the plans for it are going to be, but she says Owens and Benson were friends, and she's confident the property will continue to thrive. She's also confident that Owens' spirit will live on in this year's Easter parade and the ones to follow. But for the legions of fans who loved her, the death of Chris Owens also marked the passing of a certain era, a time when locals actually lived in the French Quarter, a time when nightlife on Bourbon Street was presented with class, a time when a performer could gain a following without social media. New Orleans is a city constantly reminiscing, and when its people look at the corner of Bourbon and St. Louis, they'll remember the name, Chris Owens. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio. We